0: G'day, guys. I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 147 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in once again, episode 147. Now, today I have Mr. Luke Brennan with me. A uh, few of you that follow AFL would remember Luke. I was a high draft pick in the early 2000s uh, to Hawthorne, I think it was number eight, and uh, basically played uh, four years there, Um, didn't do too well, sort of uh, 19 games, Uh, was delisted and then went to Sydney Swans for a couple of years and um, was probably there throughout that successful period with Sydney, so we're going to have a chat about... um, his journey through the system, but also his journey growing up in uh, Horsham, Victoria, which is my uh, old uh, country town and hometown. And uh, yeah, his journey growing up in in regional Australia and uh, what that sort of meant to him. Obviously, uh, with going through the AFL, you know, any mental health challenge that may have sort of come his way and what he observed with others. I think that's um, really important to get that sort of, um, uh, I suppose, ideology of lived experience and experience. how he uh, has gone through, um, I suppose, uh, being a professional athlete and coming out the other side. And he's doing some wonderful things now uh, to help um, regional Australians with the work he does. So we're gonna hear all about that and a bit more. So I really appreciate you uh, you joining in and uh, would appreciate your feedback on this one to uh, support at outbackmind.com.au if you wanna email me. So please do. Also I wanna make uh, special mentions to Green Nutritionals who support the podcast. so. If you're lacking something in your diet, I really encourage you to check out their site. They provide green organic superfoods which are sourced from the best places around the world. Uh, no synthetics or, or rubbish uh, and really good for our physical and mental well-being. So uh, if you'd like to check out their website, it's greennutritionals.com.au. Their products are available all around Australia, good health food stores and also online. So please help them out. Appreciate you listening in and uh, yeah, again, appreciate your feedback. Luke, how are you, mate? Aaron, how are you? That's right, very well. Now you're down in Ballarat at the moment, you tell me.
1: We are, we're in uh, it's sunny Ballarat at the moment, so as we, uh, as a lot of people think of Ballarat, it's the cold and windiest you know, <laughs> place in Victoria, but every now and again we get a few sunny days down here, so it's, uh, it's quite a nice place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah it is, and we're talking about the spot and like how, how it's sunny now from everything pretty much, so it's not a bad... Uh, not a bad spot to be, Ballarat, and uh, when I was a young fella growing up in Horsham, the only thing we wanted to go to Ballarat for was McDonald's, so... Uh.
1: Yeah. Pre-Horsham pre, pre having one, I remember yeah, those days yeah. too.
0: Yeah, well back then, mate, and um, yeah, thank Christ I haven't had McDonald's for a long time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a treat back in the day, that's for sure, so... That yeah, was um, either, uh,
1: either McDonald's or Sovereign Hill, is usually Hill, what, uh, what we it. thought about it back then. Yeah,
0: Crow Castle, KFC, they were the main draw cards. Whatever the TV yeah. told us, that we thought it was pretty good. Uh, uh, indeed. Mate, um, yeah, thanks for having a yak here. Um, being from the same country town, Horsham, um, you know, there's lots of famous people that have come from Horsham and, and you're one of them. And, um I uh, just wanted to have a bit of a yak about uh, your upbringing there, uh, first and foremost, what it was like for you and what you sort of learnt you know, growing up in the bush.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It was, um, I've got amazingly fond memories of, of growing up in Horsham. It's, you know, especially, you see, I've got a couple of young kids myself now and, and what they, uh, you know, they're bloody stuck to TV screens and iPads and, yeah, you know, it seems to be the card whereas, you know, growing up on... In Horsham I actually lived you know a stone's throw away from the Wimmer River just mm-hmm. out of town um, out at Riverside so
0: Beautiful.
1: we spent our, our pretty much my whole childhood out on, on bikes and going rabbiting and ferreting and <laughs> fishing and whatever else kind of wicked could other mischief we could get into uh between when school finished and when mum got home basically yeah. so yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it was a pretty special pretty special childhood.
0: Yeah, sounds familiar. Uh, that's for sure, it didn't cost much and you always come home with something that you could eat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> primarily, indeed. Primarily, so I think so. so. um, you would have went to school at 298?
1: Uh, I was a Horsham West boy, actually. Horsham West, unreal, on the yeah, other side so, of town. I think, um, I actually think because I've got an older sister um, and she, I believe, was the first sort of that came through Horsham West, so it was uh, it was a pretty new school back in those days.
0: Yeah, it was to a brand new one. That's right. It wasn't the old, uh, up to the old Tech there originally. So there you go, mate. So tell me, um, what was it that uh, that brought you into football? Like, was it something that you picked up when you were like a little fella, or did you sort of um, progress through your
1: teenage years
0: before you sort of got into it? Yeah,
1: it was a, it was a funny one for me actually. Uh, Call from. Like I did the, the sort of big kick as it was back then. Um, yeah, I did the vid kick in the in the sort of cold Saturday morning winters <laughs> um, back then, and and kind of didn't really play any level of competition. I reckon until oh, like maybe about under like about ten. I reckon I started like in the in the minis back then in the old Horsham Junior League um, as it was back then. So yeah, and I think it was purely off the back of. A mate who I used to sit next to on the bus mm-hmm. um, they were looking for some players so he said come along for training and um, yeah that was sort of the, the start of it but it probably didn't really become you know something a little bit more of more interest to me until you know 13 14 I think when it really started cranking up mm, who were you playing for mate so back then it was it was with United Lahara yep So, there was a a specific junior league um, competition back then that wasn't attached to any of the senior clubs. So, uh, it was the old Westside, um, Who what was in there? Um, Sunnyside, I think, was then, back in the day. Yep,
0: Homers.
1: Yes, yeah, Homers, I reckon, might (laughs) have had a team. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it was sort of like a a little junior league that finished at, I think, under-16s was was kind of the top age That's it. of that league, and then you transitioned into either Wimmera League or District League. So, But that actually, I reckon that that league folded when I came out of the under-13s. So I sort of then went across to, to play at Horsham Demons um, in the under-14s mm. and then sort of yeah played the, the back end of my juniors with the Horsham Demons.
0: Unreal. So you... You, you pretty much got um, like through the pathway there and then was identified to go down to North Ballarat. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so it was, it was probably about my 15, 14, 15 year yep. um, that I was, you know, I suppose i started showing a bit bit more talent. I was probably lucky in that sense that I'd grown a little bit earlier than some of the other guys. So I was probably uh, a foot taller than most and playing in the ruck back then.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Jeez. Um, but... Yeah, sort of, I suppose, caught the eye of some of the the local recruiters, Jeff Burdett, who it was back then. Yes, yep. Um, and yeah, that kind of I suppose started the the journey to get into some more representative type type teams. Um, you know, the local sort of West River team, and and then kind of into Eastern Victorian teams, and and yeah, obviously down into the the Rebels sort of program. Mm.
0: Who was some of the other guys that you were playing with the Rebels before you got drafted that sort of uh, that kicked ahead from there?
1: Uh, so, i just trying to think of the other guys that kind of went through. So blokes like Adam Fisher. Oh, uh, yeah. St Kilda. Came through, yeah. yeah. So, oh, he was actually, he was a rookie on uh, for Melbourne, mm-hmm. I think. But he was, yeah, he sort of came through through that system. Um, Jed, Ad, Jed Adcock yep. came through the Rebels with us. Um, Tristan Cartledge. Mm. Um, Troy Chaplin yeah right Jeez, and, Yeah, so those are some of those guys um, that we sort of yeah, played rebels with around that time mm.
0: and, and how was it for you mate as an as a individual like mum and dad sort of helped you out moving around a fair bit or was it, was it pretty challenging there
1: oh, I think anyone who's lived in in regional areas playing representative footy get <laughs> used to sitting in a car for a while so, <laughs> yeah that's it um, we're pretty fortunate you know I had a couple of Couple of other mates that were in the program from Horsham, so and Jeff Burdett, you know, was a, a great support back then. So we, yeah, spent a lot of time in the car, you know, carpooling together. And I think try and share the load as much as you can, mm. you know, given it was a two hour or four hour trip, round trip from Horsham to Ballarat for, for training and games and all that sort of stuff. So, mm, yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah took its toll. But I was, I was pretty lucky um, in that I had a, a best mate of mine, was it? Boarding school for at Ballarat College, and I think might have put in a, a bit of a good word for me, um, so I managed to to get a sort of part scholarship, footy scholarship with college to, to go down there and board for a, a couple of years through my VCA, which certainly made things a bit easier.
0: Mm, sure, mate, and and uh, so you you were into that then. Uh, it's funny I ended up in Ballarat too, by the way. But yeah, no, that's it. But, uh, so you must have had a pretty good year there and then Hawthorne pitch up at like number eight, was it? Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I played a, played a couple of years at, at the Rebels um, and then yeah, back in those days, you could actually, the, the draft age was so that I could get picked up as a 17-year-old. So there was a bunch of us that got picked up, yeah, 17-year-olds back then, um, which in hindsight had its own you know you're, you're excited and you, you think you're more mature than you are but it had its own challenges being so young um mm. going down to an afl club but yeah lucky enough to to get picked up to the hawks and and i think i pretty much finished my my last year 12 exam and then within you know five days i was i was training with the hawks that so was a bit of a whirlwind mm, period
0: yeah common oh don't worry there's a few guys that have been on this that have done the same thing you know like finished school and then all of a sudden they're they're at uh, at training with the seniors and and you know life's just totally changed for them you know and uh some of them um some of them struggled some of them thrived but i reckon if i if i put a percentage of it i reckon most of the most of them struggled at that age you know you probably need to mm. mature a bit more before you go into that sort of environment i reckon
1: yeah and as, I, as i said before like i kind of i don't know, always thought that i was one of the more mature you know guys my age in terms of that but it's not not until you can look at, look at yourself in hindsight and go, I was, yeah, I was probably a lot less mature than I thought I was and, in dealing with a few of those challenges that that got thrown your way as a 17-year-old. As a mm, yeah, that's um, true. Which is probably, yeah, similar to some of the other guys you've spoken to, I would suggest.
0: Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, it's interesting. And that, that's a, like a, a big part of this podcast is to try and, you know, sort of map out uh, some of the the, the the struggles and challenges that we sort of copped at an early age and how that sort of affected us as, we, as we've got older you know and um, yeah certainly um, yeah there's been quite a few guys uh, that have made it and haven't made it and um, you know um, sort of that, that formative years between sort of 17 and 25 the impact that can sort of have on your life too you know um, yeah. and sort of not be able to you know live in that sort of mindset uh, consistently be able to sort of you know, develop the tools so you can move on, that's, that's sort of a bit of um, what we do to try and create awareness around uh, around that, you know, and um, how did you find it when you were there? Like, you, you took a year or two to sort of hit your straps before you got into the senior team?
1: Yeah, so I, I actually went, I had a pretty um, serious kind of persistent knee injury that I had got drafted with, so I, I had oh, what they call patellar tendinopathy, mm. um, which was basically sort of like a, a degenerative Kind of tendon injury in your patella tendon that um, I'd sort of yeah, got in my last year at, at the Rebels um, in the Tag Cup as it was back then um, and yeah got drafted to Hawthorne and they knew about the injury and um, yeah there was some in hindsight some challenges around how we rehab that and mm-hmm. long story short got to the point where we yeah I didn't rehab it or the club I felt probably didn't rehab it as well as as we could have in those early days, and, and that probably stayed with me for pretty much my whole career, having mm. to manage that that same injury. So mm,
0: yeah.
1: it's um, it was a bit of a challenge. You get you get to a club and you you know, you want to just jump in straight away and and earn the respect of your teammates, and and when you can't you know be out on the training track, training and, and doing everything in the eyes of, of the other players, it can certainly make things hard to to try and settle in in the early days.
0: Yeah, mate, for sure, and. Yeah, you know, one thing that come to me there while while you were saying that is it's just how anxious we can be, like, because you, you want to, you, you, you you're basically mind's telling you to, to go, but what you really need to do is slow down and let your body heal.
1: Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, yeah, there was a, still a bit of an old school mentality, um, you know, so this was what, early 2000s, and we, yeah, there's still a bit of a hangover from the, the 90s, Kind of era of football. Mm. Um, so it was still pretty old school mentality back then. And, you know, it was the old, you know, you, you put your bag down, you know, as a young bloke, when you're going into the rooms, you know, you you basically don't say anything for the first 12 months. Mm. And then you start by saying hello to the group in, the, in, your, in your second year. And then by third year, you might actually be able to, you know, have an input is kind of the... The thoughts that were happening back then. So when you're actually not out on the track training and, and sort of showing the other guys what you can do or what you're capable of, mm. um, you know, you feel like you're, you're miles behind. Yes. You yeah. know, actually being able to earn the respect of, of your teammates, um, which can then, you know, obviously have a pretty significant impact on, on the way that you view yourself within the three circles.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said, mate. Interesting, um... Like, you would not have known about, you know, depression, anxiety, all those sorts of things back then, primarily, but um, was there anyone you could go to to speak about, you know, how you're, you were above the shoulders, or was that sort of not really something that you talked about?
1: So it was probably the early days of um, where player development managers were just starting to come into some sort of club structures. Um, so Simon Lloyd, who is now at the Cats mm. as the GM of footy there. He was our, our player development manager back at Hawthorne. And um, and he was great in terms of being able to bounce things off and, and sort of provide some, you know, some mechanisms to to help you deal with some of the challenges that you were facing. But I was, when I say fortunate, it's probably unfortunate or fortunate, depending on how you look at it. But um, I actually had, we had some family history with, with mental health and depression and, um, through my through my old man who'd experienced it, um, you know, when I was probably through my teenage years, so I had some level of understanding of what it was, and um, you know, I suppose how it can can present itself. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was probably luckier than most in terms of actually knowing back then that it existed. But it still, yeah, didn't prepare you for for how you experience those types of. Yeah, challenges when you first get into the AFL system.
0: Yeah, yeah, different environment, mate. Totally different environment than being, uh, you know, some of us living in a, a town of fifteen thousand people. You know, you're you're in a, you're in a, uh, an environment where you are a performer, I suppose, primarily. And you know, the anxiety will come if you you sort of you got uh, limitations, um, you know, on your body when you can't get out and do what you what you're hired to do primarily. That can that can you know. Create all sorts of problems and, and imbalances and issues with regards to the way that you view yourself in the world. I guess at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and it's yeah, I think expectations, is, as a word, gets thrown around a fair bit. But know, um, yeah, coming from a small country town, and and as you said, going relatively high in the in the draft, you know, there's a level of expectation that, mm. uh, and it's probably it's a probably false expectation because I think most of the expectation is internalised from yourself in that you know you want to do your community proud and you want to do yourself proud and, the, and your family proud um yeah, it's it's not until you get a few years down the track and you're our age and and you kind of look at it and you go yeah your mates at home or your community probably couldn't care less whether you you know you play 300 games or you're you, know, you, you probably internalise that expectation a lot more than than you think mm, yeah. um, back then, and you and you don't recognise it until you, you get a little bit older.
0: Yeah, interesting, mate. And when you you know when you look at it, like someone like Jake Lloyd, that sort of snuck in the back door. Um, you know, as a rookie, um, never had any expectations or anything on him, but just everything to to work towards. And I reckon that probably might be a blessing in disguise for a few fellas that uh you know that that sort of come through um the other way rather than sort of coming through in the limelight i guess
1: yeah it's it's a funny one like my uh, i came through with another another one who i um forgot to mention earlier but brad sewell oh, yeah, um, yeah. came through the rebels with me and we were, we were great mates at, at rebels and ended up living together um when we were at hawthorne
0: Hawks,
1: yeah, right, cool. so we we lived for the first four years together there in a house and and that's you know when you talk about expectations Mm. um you know i was a top 10 draft pick and and sully and to his own admission and we speak pretty openly around this but um you know he was he got rookie through to hawthorne Mm. um you know i probably had the the physical attributes at that age and um and he had to work really really hard in his craft Mm. and you know I think watching someone like Brad and the way that he um, applied himself and, and worked and you know had sacrifices, um, did everything he could to to maximize his ability and you, mm. you look at now and, and see what he was able to achieve you know over a pretty long successful career at, at Hawthorne with a couple of flags and some best and fairests. Mm. Um, you know he got the absolute best out of himself. Yeah. Um, through pure just dedication and sacrifice and application. So mm. it's uh, yeah. I think there's there's a lot of luck involved in football, but there's also yeah. There's no secret to those blokes that that are successful work bloody hard to get there.
0: Mm. That's true, mate. And and it's it's pretty much like um, you know in alignment with with life and modern life. You know, if you get an opportunity and you go hard at it and you do everything you can to you know create opportunities for yourself, then all of a sudden you know things come your way because you already, if you've got the, uh, the ethic and you've done, done the work, then usually, um, usually the results will take care of themselves. And, you know, it's interesting with him for his example, I'd like to have a chat to him too, by the way, but there's other guys like him that have just been hard workers and probably Jake Mm. Lloyd is very similar where he just like, you know, just, gave himself every opportunity and did extra all the time. If you do the extra, when it comes time to uh, perform or do your job, it, it becomes second nature and easy because you've already sort of put the time in, I suppose, you know. And, um, uh, you know, you're a bit younger than me, but a lot of fellows that come through my time sort of took it for granted a bit, you know, and they had lots of potential and ability, but they never really were able to... Um, You know, get too far because they weren't hungry enough. You know, and um, I I just think that that hunger is a real gift in itself to be able to have that desire and purpose. um, At the end of the day, you know, because it can take you places if you're 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 true to um, you know what what's driving you and um, you know and what can um, can can be positive for you in your life. You know, rather than sort of taking um, taking it for granted, as I mentioned before, I guess yeah, yeah,
1: and I think you know just. Going on that point, you know, I look at one of the, the most important attributes to have, you know, certainly within well, and not, not just within elite sport, you know, across life in general is that resilience, you know, and that ability to, you know, get back up when you fall off the horse or if you, you get injured, you know, to, to rehab it and get on with it. Um, mm. and I think you look at a lot of those guys that that have that um, that work ethic and that ability to to work hard, like the likes of, of Brad, they've got a, a, a huge amount of resilience. Um, in that, yeah, you know, they might not have got selected into representative squads in their junior days, and yeah, you know, things might not have gone their way, yeah, you know, through the through the talent junior pathway. Mm. But they didn't let it discourage them, and they you know, it almost worked the other way in that they they applied themselves more and they worked harder to get there, and you know didn't let didn't take no for an answer. Whereas I think, you know, some of those The guys that come through and i probably put myself in this in this basket Mm. um you know we're we're fortunate enough and lucky enough to um have a lot of things fall your way and through the talent pathway Mm. um yeah i i don't think it prepares yourself as well to to have it given on a plate you know when you reach afl circles because what you very quickly realize you go from a a big fish in a little pond or a very, very little fish in a very, very big pond. <laughs>
0: mm. You'd know Lance Piconi pretty well too, I'd imagine, from probably the time that you were there. And, you know, Lance uh, was on here just the other day, actually, and I've known Lance for yeah, really, okay. a few years, but he, 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 you know, made all the squads, did this and, and that and whatever, and, um, you know, went through the system, you know, sort of without a lot of fanfare, but came out the other end and really sort of didn't know where to go with life, you know, and... Um, yeah. Um, you know, he's struggled, but he's come out the other side of that really flourishing now, you know, to be able to use that weakness as his strength. Um, you know, and he always had that desire and work ethic underneath um, everything. But, uh, you know, what he does now on a daily basis to keep himself, you know, uh, mentally and physically well, uh, physically well, uh, you know, uh, really um, uh, inspirational. And I guess he's, um, he's someone that, you know, many people may not remember, but, uh, you know, he, he did have... Uh, a pretty good work ethic. Uh, at the end of the day, we sort of saw him through some pretty dark times.
1: Yeah, I've, I've sort of been obviously with Lance and having played a couple of years early days with with Lance and um, and probably more through with my some of the work I was doing with the AFL post my career. Mm. Got uh, made aware of some of the work that Lance is doing. Um, you know, in the men's mental health space and. Yeah, we need more and more of, of people like Lance kind of pushing that message out and doing the work that he's doing, and like yourself, because mm. it's certainly pretty in, uh, important
0: yeah, communication
1: and, and conversations to have.
0: Yeah, for sure, mate, absolutely. And, um, you know, we've only sort of come, like it's, it's probably only been 20 years since that that time you were drafted, pretty much, and that's, that's flown pretty much, but we've come a long way, but we've still got like, a long way to go um, with regards to... Just being able to, you know, give guys the awareness on how to manage their nervous system and how to, you know, find their purpose and passion and so forth. um, Whether that be in the present moment or later on, because I think if we've got something which we're we're working towards, we've got a drive uh, or an ambition or a passion that can really help our mental well-being. To be able to sort of stay true to that, Um, you know, when I grew up. Uh, in Horsham, myself, I didn't have a clue where to go, what to do. I was really bloody confused. And, um, you know, yeah, I see guys, you know, that uh, my age that sort of were, were like you and they went through the system sort of around the edges of it and sort of come out and now they've, you know, they've had some significant problems. But the real trap for them has been pride, you know, to be able to drop that pride so they can... Um, they can, uh, you know, say that they that they're struggling, or you know, to be vulnerable enough to say that they, they need a hand, and you know, um, sadly, a, a few of those guys aren't with us anymore because they uh, they were too proud to talk about, you know, their emotional side, uh, you know, and, and let let other other things do the talking for them. But I just think at the end of the day, one of the 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 real. Um, uh, Hidden gifts that we all have uh, within ourselves is to be vulnerable enough to talk about how we're going, you know, and then that way we can start to uh, to move through it. Because, um, yeah, that's that's still a, a bit of a, a challenge and a, and a problem for guys in general, particularly in regional areas, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and yeah, you know, you, I think pride is a, a very uh, relevant word to use, um, you know, especially in the in male dominated industries, mm. you know. Pride is is a very positive emotion to have, but it's also, you know, can be quite detrimental, as you say. Yeah. Um, and the other one I think that's that's really relevant within AFL circles um, is that identity piece, especially yeah. for, you know, people, and once again, talking from, you know, my own lens, um, when all you've known is from probably the age of, you know, 12 or 13, when you start showing a little bit of um, talent, at football, you, know, you you automatically just get lumped in with, um, oh, yeah, that's Luke, you know, he's he's the handy footballer. Yes. And it sort of, football becomes weaved into your identity through some pretty informative years, through that, you know, 15 to, to 25 age bracket when you're really trying to work out who you are as a person and mm. what sort of person you want to be and, and football's kind of there attached to you the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it tends to be what people want to talk about and are most interested in um, in relation to your life. so when all of a sudden that you know, it doesn't pan out how you think it's going to bef- think it was going to or you, know, you come out the other end, other end of an AFL system and you don't have that, that football identity that's kind of attached to you. It can be a really you know I've, I've spoken to a lot of my you know, former AFL colleagues and, and former AFL players around this topic. Yeah, that's probably the most challenging um, journey to go on post-football career is how you reform your identity yes. um, without football in it.
0: Yes yeah well said mate um, you know you, you really uh, hit my heart there when you were speaking because being from the same place as you I was sort of brought up like like, I become like the local dickhead because basically I, I've lost direction and, and, and people labelled me that and so forth, you know. So I had to move away from the place just to get away from that stigma and the stereotype, um, you know. And that was no fault of my own. It was just through, you know, some misdirection and so forth. And, um, yeah, you know, we're very, very challenging and, and I can see guys that come out of professional sports and professional life in general, Um uh, you know, becoming lost very easily, you know, it's, um, it's, it's quite common to be attached to an identity. Um, I I wrote a book about my journey and sort of how I worked my way through to being like a general manager and a CEO and all that type of stuff and how I was attached to that and, and how, when that was lost, I, I felt lost, you know, and, um, uh, it's not good, you know, it's not, not healthy to be, to be able to have that sense of pride, and a sense of identity to something, you know, or, or, or what it is to actually be someone or what it is in other people's eyes. But really what I think is most important, if you're really happy and content within your own self and within your heart, then that, that is really what it's all about. You know, that, that, that means that everything will take care of itself rather than you sort of, you know, keep, keep continually pursuing and chasing and so forth, because that can be a real trap at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and I think that that goes to um, to some of the workers. Yeah, I'd sort of worked with the, the AFL in and around you know, social policy and education for a long period of time after my um, playing days, and that was you know, a lot of the work that we looked to to try and you know, work with the likes of the AFL PA and, and each of the club player development managers was yeah you know, once again how we how we form identities of our our current AFL players outside of football so it's Mm. professional development in you know university what do we want to be what do you want to be when you finish football Mm. you know it's like and it's easier said than done because you get you know these 17 18 year olds and having been one of them i very obviously understood them Mm. um you know with with lights in their eyes and, and they are sort of thinking, you oh, know, well, I'm going to go on and I'm going to be a 300 game, yeah, you know, three premiership yes. uh, Brownlow medal winner. So what do I need to really focus too much on, um, you know, what I want to do post that? I've got to focus on footy and, you know, that's the thing. So mm. we did a lot of work in that space to try and um, create opportunities and, and avenues for for players to be able to build their identity outside of, you know, the football sphere and, mm. um, so hopefully, ease the transition. As as we all know, you know, everyone's playing days come to an end at some point. For some, it's for most, it's probably earlier than what they what they planned. Mm. So you know, how do you ease that transition out of out of AFL and into you know what we call <laughs> normal life? Yes, um, and make that transition as easy as possible.
0: Yeah, there's not many that really go on and, and continue AFL as a career, I suppose. Like you, you did. You were quite probably fortunate there when you come out of it to still work in the system for a while. And you know, we talked about Dale Morris earlier, like you know, coming out and having like a still a lengthy career in the AFL, and, and that sort of being cut short for him too. Um, so he's going to come on and have a chat about that too with with me, but. Um, yeah, mate, it's, um, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, we can get comfortable with life and, you know, we, we're not meant to be on edge, you know, primarily, but uh, we, we need to understand that, that that life is always evolving for us, you know. There's things going to um, to pop up and challenge us and so forth and be, you know, tricky from time to time. There's not many people that, uh, you know, in their, in their mid-30s, 40s and 50s, um, which life is going to be the same in 5, 10, 15 years, you know, it's it's always evolving and, you know, to be able to adapt to that. One thing for me is I always say, okay, well, something's happened, so what's next? You know, what's, what's, what, what, what is what's what is what this trying to teach me? And what's going to present from this? But if you can go into something and a, an opportunity for change uh, with a positive attitude, then all of a sudden, you know, you're open to... Uh, to to new possibilities. But if you've got a negative mindset, it can really um you know take it the other way quite quickly and take you into poor lifestyle behaviours and all those sorts of things, mate. And um you know coming from um you know from Horsham or any rural town as, as I mentioned, um we can sort of get stuck in a in a mindset um you know quite quite easily but um Yeah, yeah the expectations of others is a real trap you know in those environments still you know we need to be able to do more to sort of encourage and support each other and um you know show compassion for other people and their journeys because everyone's different mate we don't know what's happened you know uh in someone's life to be able to you know contribute to their behaviour and, and what's going on with that you know and you know what it's like in, in, in Horsham primarily primarily what, what it was like if someone was good at sport they will put on a pedestal pretty quickly and you're on the back page of the Mail Times and um, all those sorts of things and that's great but it, it can only be temporary you know and if you're still continually trying to chase that glory and you've got that mindset it can be a real trap for you again uh, as, uh, as you go into adult life I suppose
1: Yeah absolutely and, and we sort of spoke about tried a little bit earlier, um, but one of the other things that I, I kind of see, and I once again use my own experience and you know my own hindsight um, as a basis for this conversation. But the other, and <laughs> probably an interesting one for the for the listeners, but one of the biggest issues I see with players um, coming out is confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you you look at most AFL players and. And you'd kind of go, you know, you see the ones that are a lot more confident and they, you know, they're they cocky and they're, you know, some call them arrogant, some call them, you know, larger than life and whatever else. But there's, mm. there's an inherent lack of confidence across a lot of AFL players mm. when it comes to contributing to society or community outside of, once again, outside of the AFL sphere. Mm. Um, and partly that's because, you know, they know they're good at footy and they know they understand football um, but a lot of, in a lot of cases there's a there's this feeling that well if I'm not a footballer and it comes back to the identity piece as well mm. if I'm not a footballer or I'm not working in football um, where else can I really add value mm. um, you know I can't go into a an office administration role and and do that you know, job really well or I you know, I haven't studied to be an engineer, so it's not like I can jump into an engineer's role and do that really well. So mm. it's sort of like this, often they just feel like that's the only thing that they can do. Yes. Um, so it's about trying to identify, well, no, there's actually a lot of value that AFL players can bring to, to all workplaces, you know, yes. in terms of the work that we do in AFL circles around culture and leadership and, um, you know, personal and professional development. Um, you know, there's some really significant life skills that come out of, you know, putting yourself through the rigors of AFL footy that are really applicable to, um, to other workplaces and that are actually really valuable to Mm. other workplaces. So Mm, trying to identify and, and promote those, um, to the players and say, no, you actually are a valuable commodity outside of just being a good footballer.
0: Yeah. Well said, mate. It's interesting, um... You know, a lot of my work life has been around sort of working with and managing men, um and you know, I'd have a guy that come out of the military um come to me looking for a job and, and I'd employ him because I knew that he had structure you know, he, he had like the ability to be able to be disciplined enough to, to follow routine and structure and those sorts of things and, you know, geez, it's amazing you're saying this, you know, Dean Wallace was on the other day and he um, he's from Nil and he came out of the system and he was pretty lost, you know, and, and took him a long time to find his feet and um, uh when i say coming out of the system he came out and then he worked in player development and those sorts of things and when that was finished he really struggled mentally and this is a real tough guy you know as as you as you appreciate with dean and um you know there's been plenty of other people that have spoken about the same thing so um yeah just to to see uh uh, uh, an opportunity from an opening you know or or a closure i should say more more so a closure okay so this is finished for me now thank you for that part of my life um what what can i do from this you know to be able to convince an employer you know i have been in the afl system yes but these are the things i've learned these are the things that i've uh, been able to um, achieve but also these are some things that i can bring into your business as far as uh, you know from a discipline point of view and, and so forth as well which can be really attractive to an employer and um, i guess uh, there there's still some reservation around that uh, from from some because they may uh, want a ticket, or they may want a you know a bachelor of something or whatever. But you know the lived experience that comes from what you guys have been through, I think, is really profound. And you know to be able to sort of do that, um, on a on a daily basis, you know, to be able to turn up and train and to be able to uh, play uh, a game and uh, you know achieve results and have, um, all the expectations of others uh, on you uh, is is quite significant, you know. And um, so there's lots in that, you know. And I just think we're probably um having this conversation at the right time because it's still happening, you know, another guy come on here not long back and um, he said uh, out of 10 of his best mates from um, from the AFL system, you know, eight of them are still struggling, you know, they're still struggling and some of them are fairly high profile guys, you know, so uh, I just think it's a good time to, to start to look at why this is happening and what we can do to start to turn the corner.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's um, and I think, the other part of that is having a really deep understanding that you, you can't kind of do it alone. Um, you know, it's, and I was really fortunate in, in my sort of post-football career. You know, I got lucky on a couple of things, and um, and one of the things I'm, I was really lucky with was um, one of my, or the line manager, or the two line managers I had when I first went into the AFL, um tristan salter and, and sue clark mm. um were phenomenal in being able to help me grow my skill set and confidence in things that weren't football and it was done on a really gradual in a gradual way in the you know, early days it was very football focused tasks that i had a level of confidence with that i you know really felt that i could excel at because it was footy and i understand footy and you know you can kind of do that work and then gradually over time it was you know, stepping further and further away from, you know, from your comfort zone in mm-hmm. handling situations or managing programs or, you know, and over the course of, you know, five, six years, you, you kind of go from being really within this footy sphere to, you know, working in completely different areas that had essentially nothing to do with football, even though we were, were working at the AFL um, and it still always had an AFL lens. Mm. Um, in day-to-day tasks that actually had nothing to do with with football. And that slowly just built my confidence and, and my skill set to say, well, actually, I can contribute um, and be valuable to organisations um, in things outside of football. Mm. Um, so I think you know, having those those mentors to be able to guide you through and, um, and have an understanding of the environment that you've come from um, but not use it as an excuse to say, well, nah, now we've got to, we've got to grow you and we're going to grow you, um, you know, outside of the footy, footy circles.
0: Yeah, well said, mate. Tell me, when you, when you come out of the AFL system, like, as a player, but, um, so, so, sorry, I'll, I'll start there. So before you sort of got into working for the AFL, was there much support for you when you actually exited, say you were lucky you got picked up by Sydney, but was there much support for you after you come out of that program?
1: The Sydney one was a bit of an interesting one. Obviously, um, you know, we made the... Like so with myself and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, moved up to Sydney and lived a couple of years up there. And, um, and we made the decision pretty quickly after I'd finished up at Sydney to move back to Melbourne. Mm. Um, so the level of, I suppose, support from... The swans was limited. Mm. Um, and not necessarily i like, by no means do I, I blame them or um you yeah, know the Swans are a, a fantastic club and and I still have a you know very kind of a very still close to my heart mm. uh, the Swannee so but it was more probably a geographical thing, you know, when I'm trying to make my way or get back into normal life in Melbourne um, after a footy career. Yeah, it's there's somewhat limited in, in what the Swans can provide. So mm. Um, they continually checked in and, and sort of, you know, offered help, but there just probably wasn't much that they could actually do at that point. So, yeah, um, yeah it was a, it was a bit of a more good luck than good management, to be honest. My, yeah. my post footy career in that I'd lived with there was another good Horsham boy and, and who I still keep in contact with now, Adam Goods. Oh yeah. Um, who I lived with up in in Sydney for those two years. I was up there. Uh, managed to sort of, yeah put me into contact with a couple of the uh, AFL guys who were looking for some former players to do some education work. Um, and I sort of, yeah, got an avenue there and I've uh, got my foot in the door there. So it was yeah more through through Goodsy than anything else that kind of led me on my next journey.
0: Mm, amazing. Yeah, mate. It's funny how it works, isn't it? But, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's interesting, and and what I what I'd like to know, like when you came out of working for the AFL, was that by your own choice, or was it just uh, from a decision from their end?
1: Uh, so it was it was a COVID related decision that one. Mm. So, mm. Um, as you know, the the footy industry got hit pretty pretty hard through twenty twenty, um, you know, in that sort of real COVID year, and so they, I think, essentially something like 20 or 25 percent of the workforce through that year um, either got kind of reassigned or got their roles revalued and um and yeah because i'd had some pretty good tenure at the afl i've been there for i think 11 or 12 years at that point um i sort of took it as a bit of an opportunity to to take a redundancy and uh with nothing really planned to go to but just, you know, I was living in Ballarat at the time and commuting down to Melbourne every day on the train mm. before COVID hit and it was yeah, probably just a, a good chance for me to reevaluate um, you know, work life balance and yeah, you know, I had a couple of kids on the ground at that point that were pretty uh, pretty young. So I took it as a bit of an opportunity to to just reset a little mm-hmm. bit and reassess what direction I wanted to, to go in, in work and in life. So mm. uh, that was kind of yeah, what led me to, to finish up at the AFL.
0: So what are you doing now?
1: <laughs> we talk about uh, talk about you know trying to find industries that you can add value in <laughs> and uh, having confidence. I've gone into a, an industry that... And I'll, I'll be honest, and transparent in this, I had absolutely no idea uh, what I was doing in the first few uh, months of this job. So I've actually gone into sustainability and... Or um, they're called bioenergy and organic waste management. Mm. Mm. Um, so, you yeah, know, I'm with a company called Guy and Biotech, and um, essentially we're in the sustainability space and we work with uh, with customers around essentially generating and providing a renewable energy source through the treatment of organic waste. Mm. Um, so, we do a lot of work with, with remote regional councils and remote farmland farms um, in treating yeah, organic waste streams um, through anaerobic biodigestion, which uh, yeah, which essentially creates a, a biogas that can be stored and turned into renewable energy. Mm, amazing. Uh, amazing. Yeah, so it's been a, a complete 180 for me to go from an industry that you know, you know the, the ins and outs of and know every aspect of into an industry that um, yeah when I first went to uh, have a conversation with my now boss about this potential role I had to Google what anaerobic digestion was because I had no idea even what the, the technology <laughs> was and what it did and, and that was the thing that I was going to have to try and grow a business in so that's uh, I, I did take a bit of a leap of faith and um, and if it wasn't through know previous mentors and and other people that had instilled a level of confidence in me to you know to sort of show that yes you can add value in other other areas and you've got a really you know diversified skill set that that you can apply then i probably would never have you know even thought about going into an industry that i wasn't um you know really knowledgeable about but the last you know 12 months has been an absolute yeah, I've absolutely loved working in this space you know the you talk about climate change and you know hitting sort of net um net carbon emission goals and working with people around trying to reduce their carbon footprint and mm. and kind of set up an environmental future that you know, our kids can enjoy Yeah, you know, it's a really rewarding um, space and area to to work in mm.
0: mate um getting back to the initial part of the conversation back at horsham college no-one would have thought that you would have been working in the environmental space back then or the, or having an interest in environmental science from from being a, you know a good young footballer to where you are now I suppose
1: uh, I wouldn't even have I think probably these jobs even existed back then to be honest it's, yeah. uh you know it's a relatively new uh, new area it's it's only becoming bigger and bigger and, and more important um, you know and I, I liken it very similar to to the work that you do Aaron and you know in the mental health space and a lot of it is around awareness and building awareness of um you know the challenges and and impacts that these situations and whether it's you know climate change and and what's happening to our you know our planet earth Mm. um to how it's impacting us as human beings and and certainly our mental health I think it's all really interlinked um Mm. know in that we need to be able to see a future uh, and a really healthy and positive and and safe future not just for ourselves but for our kids and um yeah i think having these conversations and raising the awareness around this stuff um you know whether it be mental health and and being vulnerable enough to have these conversations or whether it be you know sustainability in the not being burying our head in the sand to think that this stuff's not actually happening um as we can see you know you're based up in queensland at the moment with with floods and some of the Mm. the worst conditions that you've seen up there for a long time and it's Mm. it's all related um yeah and i think the more we have these conversations the more educated we become as a community and and therefore the better prepared we are to actually make some change
0: well said again mate, and and, and you'll understand now, uh, you know, with what you've sort of discovered over the last 12 months and even in the mental health space, how reactive we've been, how proactive we haven't been, you know, where well, we've sort of neglected a lot of this stuff. Um, you, you, you know, really, really the environmental side of things has been been neglected and and, and the earth's paying the price for that. Uh, the mental health side of things and being proactive about managing our nervous system has been neglected. And this is why we're having all the issues that we're having now, you know, primarily as well. So it's great that we're having this chat because we're, we're actually both there yeah, going on a similar journey, but we're more on the front foot here to try and, you know, create positive change and proactive change rather than reactive change. So why, why look at fixing something when it's broken? Why not sort of get to the face of the problem before it actually becomes a more of a problem? And, uh, you know, to be able to use... The energy of the earth to be able to you know to turn that into positive energy rather than using you know false energy um which is coming from other other sources primarily you know we've got all these assets and um and and tools um you know at our doorstep we need to be able to tap into them it's very much the same as mental well-being mate you know it's not going to come through a pill or um a beer or a bong or whatever it might be you know if you can be really proactive and do things to to help your, your mind be be more content and settled and and growing rather than sort of going the other way then all of a sudden your mental well-being can be more stable and it's just very much like your physical body you know after coming out of the afl system as a player you would have been fit and strong but if you didn't continue to maintain that then you would have got overweight and fat and sloppy and then injuries and you know sore backs and all those sorts of things would have come along which is you know pretty relevant to a lot of people that listen to this you know we we're really re- reactive. Um, we get a sore back. We get a sore knee. We get a sore neck. Uh, but there's a reason why that's happening, and, and the body's giving us a sign. the same as with the Earth. You know, the Earth's uh, having issues. That's why we're getting earthquakes and we're getting all these sorts of things going on, which are, um, uh, you know, uh, causing issues. But if we can get back to finding that balance and harmony again, I think everything can work better. Would you agree?
1: Oh, most definitely. Like, use the word harmony there and balance you know two incredible words i think you know in the context of this conversation and and you mentioned it earlier aaron like yeah we often wait till things get bad before we actually do anything about it Mm -hmm. you know whether it's climate change you know we're kind of there's a real momentum shift happening as we speak around this um around this world as far as you know government legislation and regulation and all of a sudden governments have to start doing something because, you know, the broader community are expecting them to, um, and will vote accordingly if they don't. So, mm. you yeah, but they've waited until this point, until things are getting, you know, almost to the point of no return without being too morbid. But mm. you know, it's, it's got us to this point before we're actually making some meaningful change and And you sort of go back to the mental health discussion um yeah and coming from a a person who has experienced mental health um, and depression myself Mm. um and i think one of the key things around that is is not underestimating how much of an impact the small things can have Um, and once again i probably waited for my mental health to get you know bad before you actually do anything about it Mm. um whereas in actual fact the smaller things that you can the preventative steps and measures that you can put in place you know to help just lower your risk or um you know not necessarily even prevent but Mm. just support yourself in you know having you know mindfulness um type activities or Mm. you know being really conscious of your your wellness um on a daily basis and having those those times to just take a bit of a chill out and take some deep breaths and you know meditate or mm. you know go fishing if that's kind of what um you know, what floats your boat like be able to take some time for yourself mm. um makes such a massive difference to just stopping at getting to the point where you need you know more radical interventions
0: I agree mate it's about really um giving your mind time to settle and. Geez, you go back to being a player. Imagine, imagine, uh, you know, the night before the game, all you could think about was the game and playing the game before you actually played it. Uh, it's the yeah. same as most people in the workplace or whatever, where we're overthinking too much. So those, um, those tools that you mentioned are really um, key to be able to give ourselves uh, harmony and balance and give our minds a rest because if we're on all the time then we run out of juice really quickly and that's when we have imbalance and it's the same as what you're doing now with the earth we're sort of going hard all the time then we're we're going to have uh, some consequences and you know we, with our with our mental well-being it's the same between the years if you're going hard all the time then you're going to have um, some consequences and the body is smarter the body will react and um you know, uh, these these are the really um, smart things that we can actually do to be able to to be proactive, as I mentioned. Because if we can put invest time into our well being, um, you know, a, a percentage of our day, you know, whether that be you know. 15 minutes in the morning half an hour an hour two hours whatever, maybe in the morning to to set yourself up and get grounded um i think it's really important you know and you mentioned fishing like living on the river riverside going and doing that uh at at certain stages of the day or the week or whatever can really give you that sense of self-connection again and that really is getting connected to nature because really what what's happening luke is um we're being denatured a lot in modern society you know where we're certainly living in environments which are non-conducive to our natural ecosystems and you know you mentioning running around and doing all the stuff around um the riverside as a young fella there you were in your element as in as, as your environment you know and that's really uh i, I guess what makes you feel balanced and calm and, and happy at the end of the day and i just think the more of that we can do um the better off our mental well being is going to be
1: yeah absolutely and, and i think you know and it's you know and you're probably in the, the same boat as me I'll, i confess to be not the best communicator getting around you know certainly of how i'm feeling myself let alone you know how i communicate with um with my wife but mm. one of the things i find um has been really beneficial you know certainly as blokes is and i use fishing as an example or it could be bloody riding your bike or it could be whatever but it, it almost creates an environment that is a lot safer to have conversations with your mates Mm. you know i always find when i'm talking with my mates very rarely am i sitting across the kitchen table from them having a cup of tea because you you almost don't want them to look at you you don't want them to Mm. you know see the the emotion that's going through your face but i'm you know if i'm standing on the on a riverbank or in a boat sit next to a mate having a fish Mm. yeah i'm so much more likely to to actually open up a bit and have a bit of a conversation and, you know, maybe talk about with a few, and to be honest, it probably gets weaved into a bit of, you know, footy talk and a bit of, you know, politics or a bit of, you know, buddy, who you met down the street last week or, mm. you know, and then you weave in a bit of, oh, yeah, I've actually been, I've been battling a bit lately, buddy, kids have been annoying me and, you know, I haven't been sleeping well or, and you have a bit of a conversation around that when you're sitting side by side as opposed to, um you know always having to feel like it has to be a, a formal you know table conversation
0: yes Yep. Yeah, absolutely mate and, and that you probably get more out of that than what you would out of probably speaking to professional sometimes too there's, yeah. there's, there's definitely a, a time and a place for that uh, if needed but you know to be able to be open and honest and talk to someone is really important and you know luke um when I was back in Horsham, I started to run men's circles there and, and guys were so guarded to talk about their stuff. But you know, I've learned over the journey how to sort of hold these forums a bit more uh compassionately and, and we have one here, mate, and it's it's absolutely sensational. You know, guys can come on to about anything, you know, and um that, that's a real real uh gift and um to also be able to use that as a platform to build capacity where they're actually learning and developing as individuals, and I want to try and do more of this around the country to try and you know give guys um, time and space where they can go and talk about uh, things uh, and be able to form um, you know camaraderie and relationships without you know going to the pub and having false conversations that um, that may not be that nourishing because really you know blocking what's going on. Um, uh, you know within you sometimes can be a real trap and that can stay um, trapped unless you're able to get it out positively and be able to sort of move through it and you know what you mentioned before about fishing um, you know and, and having a yarn to a mate just being able to let go um, and release that is, is so important you know because there's nothing worse than, um, than bottling stuff up and, and that can have consequences as well
1: yeah absolutely and, and I use my old man as a, as a perfect example you know like probably the the most deep and meaningful conversations i've had with with my old man over the last few years is you know when we're working out on the farm together you know mm. we're probably not even concentrating concentrating about it but might have you know 300 lambs to mark mm. in a day and you you know you just get to work and you're you're sweating and you're tired and you've got nothing else to talk about so you mm. you're sort of yeah they're probably the some of the when i look back and uh, some of the most meaningful you know valuable conversations I've had, had with my dad is side by side, you know, working out on the farm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think we can underestimate how valuable those conversations, um, are. And, and also on the flip side is not we're, we're Aussies at heart and we, we take the piss out of each other and we have a laugh and we, you know, we have banter and, and I'm a big advocate for not, um, Not taking the piss out of someone who's who's struggling obviously Mm. but there has to be an element of normalness about the way that we talk about these things Mm. um and so you know being able to find some level of of humor or um you know or taking the piss out of each other whilst you're having those conversations as you normally would about anything Mm. i think just helps to to sort of relax your mates who might be might be struggling and, and go oh, actually you know this is this is pretty normal you know they haven't wrapped their wrap me up in cotton wool and, and taken me off to a hospital or anything like that it's you know it's, it's a pretty safe environment just to, to have a, a bit of a chat and and have a bit of a laugh about it if if the kind of circumstance provides it
0: yeah yeah well said again mate but really what what's happening with you and your dad when you're in that environment and that element of Mark and Lambs? You're not father and son. You're just two guys doing a job, and um, you're actually coming at it more from your heart, you know. And um, uh, getting back to our identity conversation before, being able to drop that identity—it doesn't matter, you know, who's in the room with you, whether they're a professional or whether they're a, a council worker or unemployed or whatever. We're all really the same at the end of the day, you know. We've all got. Um, uh, you know, uh, a purpose in this life—it's just being able to sort of find that and uh, and and have the uh, the trust and compassion and um, I suppose support of other people is really what humans need. You know, we really need that um, to be able to function well in this in this life and uh, this lifetime because. You know, that's what ha- that was, as well as like when you're at the West School and through your footy career as a junior, and that's really what you know, and that's what we all innately know. So we need that camaraderie and that um, that open communication. It's, it's so important. Otherwise, um, you know, life can, um, you know, get too tangled up, I suppose, at the end of the day, which is, um, you know, not the way it's meant to be, mate. It's meant to be, you know, flowing pretty free and easy. And, um, you know, when, you, when you're able to do what you did and come out of... Um, uh, one part of your life, and I'd be open enough to, to explore a new uh, chapter uh, with open arms with what, with what you've done over the last 12 months. That's, that's pretty profound, you know. And um, I think there's some tremendous things for you ahead with regards to the career that you're in now and what you can possibly bring to, uh, to people's lives, but also to the planet, possibly, you know. So who would have thought that you would be doing what you're doing at the present time, you know, way back when? But it sounds like yeah, you really found uh, a purpose, which is great.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I'm really, really enjoying the, the direction that my life's taken over the last couple of years. It's not one that I had necessarily planned or had any great level of, uh, you know, planning in place, but um, I'm a big one for, you know, when an opportunity presents itself, you, you have a quick think about it and you, you just jump right in, and, mm. you know, no one ever goes out to make a bad decision. So you, you know, you jump in and you have a crack and, and see where life takes you and, you know, so far it's it's taken me along a, a pretty special journey So, mm, How
0: can people get hold of you mate if they want to learn a bit about the work you're doing and maybe get you to do some consulting or whatever it may be to be able to help their own communities
1: Yeah so we're, we're at um, Gaia Envirotech we're called so we um, yeah, as I mentioned we're sort of in the, the bioenergy and, and organic waste management d- division but yeah I'm, I'm on LinkedIn so yeah listeners can certainly jump on and um yeah google me i suppose as they, uh, as they do but yeah jump on search search for me on linkedin happy to more than happy to have conversations around uh around this space because it's certainly something that yeah I'm, I'm pretty passionate about so
0: Gaia is g-a-i-a is that right
1: yeah g-a-i-a yep um Enviratech, envirotech e-n-v-i-r-o t-e-c-h
0: easy mate too easy and uh i've really loved the chat mate i'm sure we're gonna have more of them in the future hopefully i'll get down uh at some point and uh, and say good day, um down there although i was in hobart last week and i was freezing my ass off so i'm not too uh, <laughs> not too sure uh, ballarat's gonna be <laughs> any different but we'll, uh, we'll see how we go
1: absolutely yeah now reach out when you're uh when you're in town next we'll go and have a beer